Good morning. My name is Luke. I'm here with my wife, Jenny. Happy to be here today with you. It's always a pleasure and an honor to come and speak to you here. Drove down from Sacramento, where it's quite smoky, so uh, happy to get out of that. I am the international director of AIM Africa Inland Mission, um, and I do that job from my home in Sacramento. Um, we, this church has been with us for 30 years, and we really, really appreciate you and your support and prayer for all these years. Um, we were about 20 years in different East African countries, Muslim countries, um, and then in leadership of the organization <clears throat> from the UK and now from Sacramento. Just a very brief missions update before I go into the text for today. Um, COVID, COVID is our big issue these days in mission. Um, and I say everything I say about mission and COVID under the umbrella of God's sovereignty. God is in control. God is accomplishing his will, whether we see it or not, and whatever tools that he decides to use. But he is doing that, and Jesus is building his church in Africa and everywhere in the world. But these are hard times. These are hard times in Africa, and these are hard times for AIM, Africa Inland Mission, as well. Um, COVID keeps surging in various African countries. They're in their third and fourth waves in different places. It's worse in South Africa and in North Africa, but there's other places. Borders are closed in various places. Economies are still paralyzed. Uh, very low vaccination percentage in almost all African countries. And so this is going to be a problem that's going to be with Africa probably for several years to come. Um, it's a problem in AIM. Mostly because travel is difficult. Uh, having foreigners, Westerners, living in African countries, traveling to African countries, traveling from African countries, is more and more difficult with COVID. Um, so that's really our issue. Um, so travel and actual presence in these countries is difficult. We have increasing issues with taxation and visas. It's not a it's not a problem. Governments have the right to tax people living in their countries, but it, it is, is a burden to missionaries um, and visa issues as well. So our biggest problem is not actually doing ministry in the midst of COVID. Our, our people are creative. We found ways to continue to do ministry in a variety of different ways. Um, but actually getting people to the field and keeping them there is the big issue. How do we need to change uh, AIM and the whole mission enterprise? Current missions practice, when we're talking about moving from Western countries to global south or African countries, um, from the United States to the countries where we used to work in, um, this is dependent on relatively easy travel and physical presence in these countries. So does something need to change? in mission? Um, do we need to do more business in mission, more tent making, more internet ministry, more non-residential ministry? Probably yes to all the above, but the thing we really need to do wherever we are is we need to focus more and more energy on equipping, serving, mobilizing, catalyzing, sending local people into ministry. And we do this. This is not a new idea. But 
This needs to be a focus for every single one of our missionaries. Even in places where there are very few local believers, it seems like these days you can always find some believers somewhere, whether they're locals, whether they're from other countries, whether they're near culture people. So that needs to be a focus for AIM. I think of this man named Epaphras, and we won't have a lesson on Epaphras here, but Epaphras was the one, he's only mentioned in the book of Colossians, he planted the churches of Laodicea, and Colossae, okay? Now, we don't know who he was beyond that. He may have been a disciple of the, of the Apostle Paul. But in any event, he was mobilized into mission. He planted churches in his own area. And that's what we need. We need to mobilize and catalyze people right where they are to do the work of mission. And that needs to be an emphasis more and more for us. Western mission, mission coming from the United States and other traditional mission-sending countries, it's not dead, but it's struggling, it's challenged, but it is very much alive. Now, we need to change in various ways, and AIM needs to change, and COVID, I'd say, is a prompt. It's a lever in the hand of the Lord to bring change about. How will we respond and that's the big question for me right now as the director of AIM. I'll go on. The text today is Mark chapter 8, uh, verses 20 through to 26. Um, Shannon thought, uh, this is a bit out of order for you apparently, but Shannon thought because I'm a doctor I'd like to preach about the healing of the blind man. Um, because I heal blind people all the time, obviously that's kind of you know, <laughs> I'll read this. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. And his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. There we are. I'm going to pray. Thank you, Father, for this text. Thank you, Jesus, that you healed this blind man. Would you please send your spirit and help us to understand this text today. Help me to lift up the name of Jesus to encourage and challenge my brothers and sisters here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, town of Bethsaida. People bring a blind man to Jesus. Okay, um, Jesus takes him by the hand, leads him out of the town, and then spits in his eyes and says, what do you see? Well, he says, I see, but I see people, they're like trees walking around. Jesus touches him again, and then he sees clearly. Jesus tells him not to go back into town, but just to go home after that. We need to set this story, just a small story, in the context of everything that's going on in Mark at this time. Um, fine, Mark didn't divide it into chapters, that came later, but it's nice to look at it this way anyway. Chapters 8 to 10 of Mark is kind of this long narrative 
uh, containing several teachings and several miracles about what Jesus did. It's the last thing before the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem in Mark chapter 11. And the context here is for the disciples to, and their need to clearly understand Jesus' ministry and Jesus' purpose in this world. There are so many misunderstandings that keep coming out in these chapters. Things the disciples have misunderstood, things they have not seen clearly. So we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, people really talk about in this miracle, why did Jesus heal in stages like this? Normally that's not how his miracles are. And I think that's worth talking about. But let's not miss the most important thing here. Jesus healed a blind man. Jesus took someone who couldn't see and he made him see. I don't care how many stages it took. It's an amazing thing that Jesus did and healed this blind man. <clears throat> um, so let's not forget that and give glory to Jesus Christ for what he does, for the healings that he continues to operate and operated in this man's life. A few details. This man was brought by his friends. Okay, um, Matthew Henry, the Bible commentator, says this, If those who are spiritually blind do not pray for themselves, yet let their friends and relations pray for them, that Christ would be pleased to touch them. Now, Jesus leads this man out of town by the hand. And just so touching to think of the the condescension or the humility of Jesus who comes down, takes this man by the hand, leads him out of town, and touches him so many times. Now, the relationship Jesus had with this man. Why did he lead him outside of town? Not sure. Maybe to prevent kind of a mob scene in the town of, of, of Bethsaida. I always want to say Bethesda, Bethsaida. Um, maybe because we read in other places that Bethsaida had rejected the ministry of Christ in spite of miracles being performed there. And maybe Jesus is saying, fine, you don't have to see this miracle. Maybe you're not worthy to see the miracle that I'm going to do here because you've rejected so many other things. In any event, he led him out of town. Um, Jesus spit in his eyes. Okay, now Jesus used spit in different places. This is not the only time that Jesus spit on somebody as part of his healing. Um, okay, there's, there's, there's nothing healing that I know, at least in saliva. Um, I don't think it's, it's not something we use in modern medical practice. I can imagine Dr. Paul here uh, opening up somebody and spitting in his wounds. Uh, it's like, I don't think that would have lasted long. Um, it is a way in different parts of the world that people bless you. The Somali people where we worked at, they would spit on you to bless you. Not, not, no, not like that, but just a little they do that to you. And you, the other places, they do that. For I, I don't know where that comes from. Okay, I've had people spit on me in a, that had nothing to do with blessing, too. But, um, but this, uh, this, is, this is different. Um, uh, Matthew Henry, again, looks to the eye salve that 
Jesus tells the believers in Laodicea to buy from him. He says, you, you say you are rich and you have need of nothing, but you don't know that you are wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold and this and that, but he, I counsel you to buy from me eye salve that your eyes may be opened. Again, we could go back to this healing in stages, and that's the most notable thing in, in this healing story. Um, there's different ideas as to why this happened. Um, some people think it's about faith. Did the blind man have any faith? Um, some people think it's, a, again, Matthew Henry in particular, thinks it's a parable of spiritual healing. Um, others talk about this being a lesson for the disciples. And again, how clearly do they see the ministry of Jesus? Maybe it's all three. I don't think we need to choose one. Or maybe it's something else. I don't know. But let's talk about those. Faith, first of all. Um, in the next chapter, we're going to have the story of the healing of the epileptic boy when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, and there's a startling story, really. The disciples are unable to cast out the demon in that boy, even though they do it on other occasions. They're unable to do it. Jesus says later, it's because you didn't pray. This type only comes out by a prayer. And Jesus says, oh, oh, unbelieving generation, how long am I to be with you? Um, I think he's addressing that to the disciples. So it's a question of lack of faith on their part, at least partially. And then you have this whole story where the man brings the boy and he says, he's been like this since he was a, since he was a child. If you're able, please do something. And Jesus says, if you're able, you believe you'll see the glory of God. Everything is possible to him who believes. And he says this amazing statement that so many of us identify with. I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus actually heals that boy to a degree in stages. Because when the boy comes, the demon throws him on the ground. He convulses. Jesus rebukes the demon. It comes out of him with a loud cry and convulses him again. And then people think he's dead. But Jesus picks him up and he's healed. So it's almost like there's stages there. And then you can go to Bartimaeus, the blind Bartimaeus at the end of chapter 10, last thing before the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's in Jericho, I think. And then, and Bartimaeus has no problem with faith. He's the one who's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me! And everyone's saying, shut up, shut up! But no, he just keeps crying. And Jesus says, bring him to me. And he says, what do you want? I want to receive my sight. Go, your faith has made you well. He has no issue with faith at all, and the healing is instantaneous for him. Um, there's, we can't really say that this blind man didn't have faith, but one wonders. He did not approach Christ himself. Other people brought him to Christ, like the four men who brought the paralytic to Jesus. Again, it's a great example of bringing our friends to Jesus. Or was he healed in stages to give him an opportunity to express faith and to believe for the second stage of his healing? Um, Jesus is not limited by lack of faith, but he loves faith, and he loves to build faith, and he loves to respond to our faith. So maybe there was something there with building that man's faith. Is it a parable about spiritual healing? 
But again, Matthew Henry talks about how this is the way that Jesus often heals our spiritual blindness step at a time. Or is it to serve as a parable for the disciples and their lack of understanding? Let's talk about that one. The disciples' misunderstandings. We need to remember that the Gospels are not a random collection of stories that somebody wrote down. They are carefully crafted literary works. Mark was, was, uh, traveled together with uh, the Apostle Peter. Mark heard the preaching of the Apostle Peter. That's what became the Gospel of Mark. But again, Mark just didn't scribble it down and say, here it is. No, he crafted it. He put things together. All the evangelists do this. They're put together in a way to bring about truth and help us to understand truth. So they're literary works. Um, So it's also significant. This is one of the few stories that is only present in Mark. It's not present in the other Gospels. Um, Usually things in Mark are almost always repeated in the other Gospels. Okay. The disciples in these chapters, they have so much confusion and so many errors in their thinking. They had so much partial understanding. The general theme is that they saw things with human eyes rather than seeing things in the way that God sees them. Now, I made a list of the disciples' errors in these chapters. I I come up with at least nine, but there's probably more. But let's start. You start chapter 8 with the feeding of the 4,000, okay? And then they're on the boat, and they say, we don't have enough bread. And Jesus says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And they say, oh, it's because we didn't have enough bread. Jesus says, why are you bothered about bread? How many baskets of, uh, of pieces did you gather up? Oh, seven baskets. How many people did I feed? 4,000. Um, he's like, why are you concerned about bread here? Um, Are your hearts hardened? Do your eyes not see? Do your ears not hear? Do you still not understand? He asked them that. What's the mistake? What's the mistake they're making? I think it's over-reliance on their own resources rather than looking to Christ. We don't have enough bread. Here's a man who just multiplied bread. We shouldn't have to worry about bread here. But you're thinking about your own resources rather than what Jesus can do. That's a mistake. Then we get, after that, or after the story of uh, the, the, the blind man being healed, Peter's great confession. You were the Christ, son of the living God. Okay, great moment of faith. Okay, and then followed by the trap, well, sorry, followed by Jesus starting immediately to tell them, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to get killed, I'm going to rise again on the third day, right? He tells them that, and he actually tells them that each chapter, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, he repeats that exact same thing. And we have Peter's tragic rebuke. No, no, it shall never be, Lord. Okay, Peter loved Jesus, he didn't want that to happen to Jesus, but he didn't under. Stand, And then Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Poof, that's what, that's, those are hard words for Peter. But he says, you're setting your mind on the things of men, not of God. And then he goes into, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Okay, what's the error there? What's the mistake? Human thinking about what Jesus' mission should be. Uh, that's only a mistake they made back in New Testament times. We never make those mistakes. Poo. Chapter 9, Transfiguration. 
Oh, it's an amazing story. They go up on the mountain, right? Here's Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus, this and that. Peter doesn't know what to say. Okay, we'll build three tents, one for each of you. And then the Lord speaks. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Stop talking. Listen to him. This is not Moses. This is not Elijah. I think poor Peter, he comes down the mountain. Hey, wow, how was your trip to the mountain? Oh, it was great. The Lord God spoke directly to me. What did he say, Peter? No, oh, he said to shut up. <laughs> anyway, what's the mistake? Putting other men next to Jesus. Yeah, this is my beloved son. This is not Moses. This is not Elijah. This is something entirely different. Uh, then we have the healing of the demon-possessed boy that I talked about. Jesus says, oh, faithless generation. And then he says, this type does not come out by, except by prayer. Um, what's the mistake? I think it's dependence on our own power instead of dependence on the power of God. Okay, after that, we're walking down the road, and they're having a discussion. Jesus says, what were you talking about? Ooh, yeah, we were talking about who was the greatest among us. That was a rather awkward moment for them. Um, Jesus takes the child, and he gives him an object lesson. He says, if you want to be great, become the servant of all. Even someone who receives a child like this receives me. Gives them a lesson. Yeah, what's the mistake? You're looking to men. You're looking to human greatness. This is actually just pure arrogance. The disciples thinking about which one of us is the greatest. Uh, okay. There's um, James and John, or no, maybe this is James and John later. There's others who were, they come upon a man who's casting out demons in Jesus' name. They tried to stop him. He wouldn't. Uh, because he was not following along with us. Jesus says, leave him alone. Anyone who's not against us is for us. Yeah. What's the mistake? I think the mistake is thinking that this is about us and our group. And so anybody outside of our group, no, he doesn't have the right to participate in this. I think that's the mistake. Again, it's about us. Um, then we get to chapter 10, and even after that lesson about the child in their midst, there we are, here we are again, obstructing children from getting to Jesus. Yeah, people are bringing Jesus, and the disciples say, no, 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 Jesus is too important for that. Yeah, what's the mistake? Failing to see Jesus' love for the small and the weak and the seemingly insignificant. Yeah. Then we have the rich young man. Okay, you know the whole story. The rich young ruler, he goes away sad. Yeah. Jesus says, oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples say, who can be saved then? Here's someone who's been righteous his whole life, follow all the commandments. God's blessed him with wealth. Who can be saved if this man can't be saved? Jesus gives them an answer. But what's the mistake? Yeah, we're looking to false reasons for salvation. Well, this is not about obedience to commandments, and it's not about wealth. Finally, you get James and John and their mom, if we look in Matthew, with their, little, uh, with their little stunt about asking to be on Jesus' left and Jesus' right in the kingdom. Um, and Jesus gives them a pretty powerful lesson there. What's the mistake? Forgetting who we are, seeking power for ourselves. 
How do we relate? How many of these mistakes do we relate to? Uh, how is our vision flawed? Where are we seen wrongly? Where would Jesus say to us, do you still not perceive? That's a powerful statement. Do you still not get it? Where would Jesus say that to us? Lots of people see, see Jesus unclearly. Muslims see Jesus. They see Jesus, but they see him so nebulous, so different. They have some truth, but not near the complete truth. Modern Western Americans see Jesus in a very nebulous and obscure way as well. So there's plenty of people who see Jesus like a tree walking around. But do we... Do we have eyes that don't see, ears that don't hear? Just an aside, I'm listening to a podcast from Christianity Today. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Highly recommended. It is shocking. It is, I, I listen to it and I'm just disturbed. Not just by Mark Driscoll and what happened at, by, at Mars Hill, but by the, whole, by the errors of our whole evangelical movement. You want to see some of these errors? Listen to that podcast. Again, alarming. Highly recommended. We end chapter 10 with Bartimaeus. Yeah. This is healing done directly, instantaneously to a man who's full of faith. Does that mean the section is closed? And have the disciples finally got it? Yeah, Bartimaeus certainly gets it. Do the disciples get it? Maybe I'm taking this too far. Yeah, but the disciples, they had better have gotten it by this point because the next chapter... We're going into Jerusalem. This is the final week of Jesus' ministry. And we'd better get it too. The world needs a church and Christians who see Christ and his mission clearly. Um, about ourselves and about our role in it to see that clearly. It's easy to relate to mission and the Great Commission. How desperately... We need a clear vision of what mission God has for us in this world. Well, but there are plenty of other applications. We need to get it too. Yeah, we don't have Palm Sunday facing us, but we have the second coming of Christ, the second triumphal entry, not on a donkey, but on a great white horse, not as the suffering servant but as the conquering king. May the Lord heal us and give us clear vision of him, his ministry, and what our role in it is.